A lot of people have really different interpretations as to how God speaks to us today. And I, I really do believe that God speaks to us. And if you're quiet enough and in tune enough, you can hear him. And no, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've learned to fine tune that still small voice. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to the Recovered Life Show. Today I am joined by Shona Marie, and I'm pleased to have her on. She's the author of Steady the Storm. It's a very interesting book about her her challenge and walk through her husband's alcoholism and his spiral into addiction while they were newlyweds. And what I love about her story is her book really captures the anguish and all of the emotions about addiction, getting sober, being married, and all the lessons she learned and some encouragement about how she utilized faith to walk through this. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here and chat with you today. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I loved your story. I actually watched a video of you online and was reading about your book. And what an interesting story. And, you know, the first question I had is, I, you know, I looked a little bit in your background and I said, how did a nice girl from British Columbia end up in a situation <laughs> like this? So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what happened and... It it that that's what was great about your about your story because this is something that could happen to to anyone really right mm -hmm. yeah and and it's so it's it's so engaging how you kind of go through how you went through this but tell a little bit of the background about like who you are and and, and basically what happened yeah um I mean there, there's so much background to kind of pick and choose from so I'll kind of um, splice it together a little bit I grew up in a fairly uh, innocent. Christian background. A lot of people call it, you know, the church bubble, which is definitely a real thing. Um, there was uh, a real sort of childlike innocence to my upbringing, which, you know, overall, I'm really thankful for because it gave me um, a real childlike faith, which is what God actually calls us to is a childlike faith. Um, but overall, it kind of left me a bit naive as to, you know, how, um, how real world issues sort of evolve and exist. Um, I wasn't really involved in the dating scene in my 20s and not for a lack of want, but just, you know, lots of different factors. Um, didn't have a lot of experience with relationships. I sort of knew of my husband prior to him being my husband, obviously, through friends and sort of church connections and was aware that he'd had a bit of a, a rough past. But when we started dating, he was actually kind of coming, I thought he was coming out of a relapse, but he more admits it was more of a pause to the relapse, he would say. Um, and I kind of viewed alcoholism and addiction as something God could just heal and take care of and get rid of. And that was kind of my view of it was like, oh, well, Jesus will take care of this kind of idea. And God does take care of those things, but he, he more pulls us through them than just eradicates them from our lives. And so the beginning of our marriage, the first two years of our marriage was that pulling through. 
And it really, it really shook me and was a really chaotic situation for me because I, I kind of had no real, no real experience with what addiction and alcoholism looked like. Um, so so had I, you ever, had you ever, um, when you say that you had no experience, so you really had never had anyone in your family or known somebody who had gone through this. Maybe you'd heard about people who had gone through it, but you never had any really direct experience, either in your childhood or your 20s, with anyone who was sober or anyone who was struggling. We had, my dad's brother is an addict and alcoholic and actually went through a really amazing season of sobriety, but has since, you know, relapsed. And so, there was, you know, the black sheep in the family, so to speak. However, my parents were, I was a very sensitive kid. And so they more took the stance of like, protecting me from knowing the details or what that looked like, or how it affected the family, right? They didn't, they didn't want um, our uncle to be painted with this black brush. So I actually like I knew he was a bit rough. And I knew sometimes, you know, oh, we have to go check on him or this or that. Or, you know, we have to go pick up his dogs because he hasn't been home in a few days. And so we're going to take care of the dogs. But it was more of a like, oh, we're dog sitting instead of like, he's disappeared. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's going on. So everything was more explained in a from an innocent perspective, then say like, you know, this is, this is what an alcoholic looks like. This is what addiction looks like. Um, I had friends who might, you know, drink too much here and there. And, and that would actually make me kind of nervous. And there were some seasons where I, you know, definitely drank a bit too much here and there, but never to the point of understanding what it means to be an addict. So did you, um, so you, you get into this relationship with your husband and in the book, you kind of chronicle the whole dating and he comes over to do a home repair for you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really interesting. Tell us a little bit about that, about how, did, did you notice anything in your dating? You said that you knew he had a little bit of a past and he had struggled with it and that you just felt that, well, God just will remove that and he will go on with his life. How did that whole courtship unfold and were there signs there that you saw that later you look back on and say aha you know that i should have paid attention to that yeah i mean hindsight is always 2020 right like there was definitely more like i i wouldn't say i was blind to what was going on you know like when he i had asked him to kind of come over and help me install a dishwasher and uh, you know a lot of people have really different interpretations as to how god speaks to us today and I, I really do believe that God speaks to us. And if you're quiet enough and in tune enough, you can hear him. And no, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've learned to fine tune that still small voice and yeah. be able to sit yeah. with, with Jesus and, and get a really good understanding of what he's saying to me. And, um, you know, I, I felt God speak to me about Rhett even prior to us dating and I was I was fairly confident that God was bringing us together and um so I was willing, you know, coming from an entire decade of my 20s of not really being in a relationship, I was willing to take the risk to be like, okay, I really feel like God's speaking on this. It's super scary. There's a lot here that kind of freaks me out, but I I'm I'm going to trust God on this one. And on the flip side, you know, Rhett, Rhett came over to install the dishwasher and really like I was not on his radar. Like, sure, we had some mutual friends or what have you, but he also feels, you know, he can really hear 
God's voice in those moments. And he also felt like God was saying, hey, this is your wife, you're to pursue her. And it totally freaked him out, right? And uh, he he just went, all right, let's do it. Um, let's see what happens. And so he kind of, you know, started putting the feelers out there. We went to a movie, like roses showed up at my work. I totally panicked, right? Like it was, it was kind of this like awkward sort of stumbling into relationship. We dated for a month before we officially were like, yeah, we're dating because I was in denial about it. And there's a chapter actually titled denial dating. And I refer to that <laughs> season as denial dating. Um, cause I, I always said like, oh yeah, when we were just hanging out and Rhett was like, no, we were dating. And I'm like, no, we were just hanging out. And he's like, no, we were dating. <laughs> and so like, because I just, I was just so nervous to step into anything. And yeah, looking back on it, there were definitely signs of like, you know, this is alcoholism is going to be a problem. But again, because I hadn't any real experience with it when, you know, the bottle of wine showed up on our honeymoon, I kind of more thought like, oh, well, let's just see how this goes instead of like, whoa, what are you doing? You cannot drink. One drink is too many. Like to me, it was okay, well, one bottle of wine in an evening is fine. Two is maybe a bit too much, but so long as we don't take it out of hand, where for an alcoholic, one drink is too many. It's that's the line. And I just had no idea. So one of the things I found interesting about your story is you talk a lot about your journey and what you're suffering with and, you know, the, the level of fear you have in anxiety. And you had kind of even dealt with that before you'd met your husband, mm-hmm. that you, you describe yourself as a self-described anxious person. Yeah. Uh, as this starts to unfold and, and the one glass turns into two glasses and it turns into something more, do you feel, are, are you at the same time battling your anxiety and trying to figure out how, how am I going to live my life? Uh, because, you, you know, being, getting married is a big change. It's a huge mm-hmm. change in anybody's life. Being in a relationship is a huge change. Um, it's, describe that a little bit about your anxiety and what you were kind of dealing with and how that either, you know, hurt or helped you in, in your journey. Yeah. Oh, man. For those who are highly anxious or fearful, which are probably more the relatives of alcoholics than alcoholics themselves, they tend to be very bold and confident. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it it crippled me. It completely crippled me. You know, I I remember um, I went on a trip to this was way before I dated Rhett. I went on a trip to Italy with a friend and that was sort of the first time that I'd traveled to a country Mm -hmm. specifically with a friend instead of a family member or meeting a family member overseas. Um, I panicked the entire eight hour flight there about everything that could go wrong. Why are we doing this? Two women going to Italy, like we had all these trains booked and I'm all I could think about was everything that would go wrong. Um, Instead of looking forward to this like lifelong desired experience I could just think of disaster and so that was how it was when Rhett started drinking all I could think of was disaster and I confronted him about every anxious thought and fear I had what about this what about that you can't do this you can't do that what if this happens and I feel like my anxiety was just like the pressure cooker for his addiction right um, he just couldn't take it. He couldn't handle being around me and we'd get into a fight and he'd be like, I'm out of here. And then he'd be at the bar and then 
like I wouldn't see him again till 1130, 12 or not at all, because I would leave and go to a friend's house for the night because I just couldn't take it. And so obviously, some of my fears were valid, because fear can be a warning as to what you should and should not do. And so yes, I had fears when we were dating. And that, you know, was my body and spirit, you know, going, hey, whoa, are you sure you're ready to get into this? Is this something you want to get into? But at the same time, you know, I had been controlled by my fears and my anxiety my whole life. It's kept me from doing a lot of things. And I was kind of determined to not let it get in the way anymore. And so I chose marriage for the <laughs> the, the journey yeah. of fear and yeah. anxiety to not get yeah. in the way of. And then after the fact, it just exploded. So I would say I really didn't learn how to curb those fear and anxieties until like maybe a year and a half into the relapse. You know, I started to find Al-Anon. I started to try to figure out myself and what was going on. Obviously that whole, you know, first steps of the 12 steps, like you're not in control. Um, How do you regain control? How do you trust your higher power? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you recenter yourself? And so it really was like a year and a half and some pretty, you know, catastrophic events that caused me to go, okay, like, let's get myself in check here. So tell us what happened. Was it literally your honeymoon? Was it literally the night of your wedding that that things started to kind of unravel for him? Uh, we had we were in a grocery store <clears throat> um, in Hawaii, and Rhett wanted to buy a bottle of wine to go with dinner. And I was like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, it's fine. Like, it, you know, we'll just have one bottle of wine. And I said to him, I was like. Yeah, but like, hasn't hasn't alcohol been an issue issue for you in the past and like the recent past? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, but like God's healed me of that and this and that. And I, I was like, look, like I'm. We had this whole conversation like in the grocery store, which really kind of embarrassed him, and he didn't want to have it. You know, he was like, let's talk about this later. And I'm like, well, is later gonna have a bottle of wine in it or no bottle of wine in it? Like, I don't want to talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I had kind of said like, look, like I'm. I'm okay with us like maybe talking about reintroducing alcohol in our lives at some point, but not right now. Like, can we figure out being married first? Can we figure out like our new life first and like get some stability? And then maybe like down the road, we can talk about this. And he just didn't want to, he was like, no, like, I think we, I want to do this now. Like we're on our honeymoon. I want to enjoy my honeymoon. I want to have a good time. Like, and he wasn't arrogant about it, but he was more like, look, like, Mm-hmm. Lo- loosen up a bit we're on our honeymoon like we can have a bottle of wine and so I was like okay but it really like it was like a brick in my heart I was like I don't want to do this you know and so we had the one bottle of wine and it was fine and then a couple of days later it was like let's get another one you know and I said okay like what does this look like like I was trying to draw boundaries around it like are we how many times are we drinking here? Are we drinking every night mm-hmm. or what? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, well, maybe like two bottles of wine over the course of the, the two weeks. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, yeah. like that's that's doable. But then, So already, so he's immediately starting to count what he had, look for the next drink. Negotiate. Negotiating all of that stuff. Yeah. So looking back on that now, you know, and what I find interesting about your story and why I thought this was so helpful is, we had a we had a chat last week and i was saying you know most of the people who listen to this 
this show are people who are in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. So, so they're not experienced necessarily out of being the person that doesn't have the addiction. That's not recovery, right? And what I love about your story is that you, you know, you describe, you, you know, you talk about Al-Anon, a little bit of codependency, not seeing the warning signs, boundaries that, that also there's a separate recovery going on. There's the recovery of the person who has the addiction issue. And then there's the recovery of the person who is around them, mm-hmm. who is married to them. And I, and, you know, I'd love you to speak to, to kind of speak with that a little bit, because I think a lot of the times that people don't realize that are in recovery is that, wow, all the changes and feelings that they're going through, people mm-hmm. that love them and are around them are going through similar or even more impactful changes in their life. Yeah. And I know like this is, this is the side of the story I was desperate to read about in the midst of the relapse. I was like, someone tell me my side of the story. Someone tell me what I'm going through. And I could not find books or anything about it. And it's funny. I actually was just re listening to the codependency no more book. And I'd actually listened to that book on recommendation when Rhett and I were dating. And I maybe identified with like, 17% of the book when we were dating and I was like pretty introspective about it like okay is this true is this not true and I'm like okay I could see maybe a little bit that I'm codependent but having re-listened to it now when Rhett went into relapse my codependency went through the roof Um, and I identified with 100% of the book I was like that was 100% me that was 100% me where when we were dating I was like "Mm, maybe but not really Um, so like just like for an addict you know when one drink becomes two, twelve, a week of binging for people who are in relationship with addicts your brokenness goes from a one to a 20% to 100% and my anxieties and fears skyrocket my codependency skyrocket my helplessness i've i i'm not i used to be a very like tight-lipped person like i wasn't overly emotional i didn't cry a lot i was pretty stoic but like i feel like ret sees and understands a completely different person because i was a complete emotional wreck bawling my eyes out all the time like so my brokenness was just And so as, as a codependent, basically you're as addicted to controlling the situation as he is to controlling when he's going to drink. Right. So at the same time, he's spiraling out of control. You're kind of spiraling out of control, trying to control it. Mm -hmm. And what, what happens? So uh, obviously it gets to a point where no one can control anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We were completely out of control. And, you know, there were moments where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go stay at a friend's house for a week or like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tired of leaving and staying at a friend's house for a week. You're the one with the addiction you leave. And so then he goes stay at hotels or whatever. And that was, that just exacerbated issues. And, um, you know, it was a real ebb and flow. I mean, you know, if you look at like, the social media highlights of our life, there were some really great moments, you know, we, we, there were some really amazing times. And I tried to like cling to those good times in the midst of the chaos, you know, 
like, oh, we'd go camping or we'd see family or whatever it is, right? We had a good church group for a while. So there was like a good highlight reel, but there was the underlying disaster. And eventually it just came to a head of like, I can't do this anymore. Like you either go to treatment or we're getting a divorce. And, you know, there was a very rocky two and a half months from the point of like Rhett left the house. And I was like, you can't come home until this is sorted to him actually getting into treatment. And that was sort of the the catalyst moment of like, I, I sa- essentially said to him like, look, I've played every card I can play in this marriage to make it work. And I've got one card left and it's separation agreements, or you start playing your cards and you start getting better and you go to treatment Otherwise, there is like there is no marriage. There hasn't been a marriage for a long time. And so we either acknowledge there's no marriage and we go that route or you get the help you need. And that was where it ended up. What was what was that? What was the one one breaking point? Because I think a lot of the times people think, well, you know, people who are in active recovery feel that they can just if they could just keep all the plates in the air you know, maybe one will break here and there, but they'll just be able to keep things going and they'll find a way to be able to figure it out. Um, And then they think, well, it was that one thing that happened, but it wasn't the one thing, right? It was an accumulation of things. And what, but what was the event that you finally stood up and said no more? And what did you do? You know, I can't even really pinpoint it to one event. There were multiple events throughout our marriage that just slowly eroded, right? And they always say it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But really, it's not the straw. It's the hundreds of pounds of straw that's on the camel's back, right? And, you know, we got to a point where, like I said, Rhett was actually living out of our trailer in campgrounds because, you know, hotels was not an option anymore. And he just slowly eroded to the point of desperation. And um, it was that desperation that where he was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I need help. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to go to treatment. And I need to go to treatment like tomorrow. And, um, you know, to the with the grace of God, we got him in somewhere and had financial help to make it happen Mm -hmm. through friends and family. And that was it, right? And even in treatment, you know, he was a little resistant to, to the, the regime of treatment. But in the end, it's, it's what kickstarted him back into his sobriety, right? Um, I think uh, some of the straws, so to speak, were my lack of caring, you know, I kind of got mm-hmm. to the point where I was, I stopped trying to like enable healing, you know, I was more like, you know what, like, I'm done. Like, and I think that was honestly a straw for Rhett was like, oh, she's done. Um, and I was like, I don't even care anymore. You know, like I, I'm not even sure I love you anymore. I'm not even sure I'm committed to this marriage anymore. Like, I just, I don't even care. Like, you know, drink, don't drink. It makes no difference to me. I'm going to move on with my life and you mm-hmm. need to move on with yours. And if moving on with your life means healing and restoration and treatment, then okay, let's see where that goes. But I think part of the last straw was sort of me getting to the point of just not caring what happened. You know, I detached so much that I, I kind of let him take himself to the end. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about in the book, you talk a lot about faith mm-hmm. and about growing your own personal faith. And I know you mentioned earlier about how, you know, from a religious, not not a personal relationship with God, but through a religious standpoint, a lot of people feel that just addiction can be removed. God's just going to remove addiction. And I thought that was very interesting when you when you talk about that. And do you, do you find it hard sometimes? Because I know, you know, and this is in several religious communities, they just think, well, addiction's a character defect, right? They have, it's just a personal choice. They're deciding to do this and, you know, God will remove it or they won't remove it. And there's really no middle ground. How how hard that, how, how hard was that for you? Because I know I have met people who have struggled with that, right? They They want to, they want to kind of explain to people who are in the religious community, look, it's more than that and try to educate them. But sometimes there's this disconnect. Did did you, did you find a struggle with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, I, I had a pretty wide background of a Christian faith, I guess you could say some of it was very charismatic. Some of it was more religious context. Um, And that was really hard. It was really hard to, come to the understanding God does not just remove this. I think he can remove aspects of it to help you. But like, that's kind of like saying to a girl, like, Oh, God can just remove your, your jealousy and gossip and you'll wake up one day and you'll never be jealous or again, or gossip again. And that's kind of like, wait, what? Like, no, like girls gossip and we're jealous, you know? Like, (laughs) And that's, that's, that's a sin to, to gossip. It's a sin to be jealous and to just expect God to remove the ability to feel jealousy is, is kind of like, it's, it doesn't even make any sense. So for an addict, just expect God to remove the desire to drink is kind of like, what? Like, no, like you, that's something that every sober alcoholic has to deal with is, constantly battling that desire to drink you know when your life gets out of control you want that like piece of a drink right and or whatever it is for you and so I I I feel like I'm a lot wiser now you know than I was of like yeah like we're going to be broken till the day we die like we will struggle with sin until the day we die and everyone's sin is different and for some people it's the desire to use and drink and for some people it's the desire to shop you know that's like kind of expecting someone to like wake up one day and never have the desire to use their credit card again like for a shopaholic that's that's not comprehensible but it's acceptable because shopping is acceptable right yeah. Um, where, you know, an addict is not an accepted trait in our society, especially a Christian society, right? It's like, oh, well, you don't do that. You just don't do that as a Christian. Um, But I think we have a lot to learn on how sin affects us and how deeply ingrained it is in our character, which is why every single person has to admit their defects to Christ every day and accept his grace every day. Like, you know, that old kind of adage of like, you know, I sin a hundred times before I drink my coffee in the morning, just in my own head, you know? Um, And addiction is no different. You know, Rhett will struggle with the desire to drink maybe for the rest of his life. And it's only by the grace of God and his, his connection to God and his discipline to make that happen. 
So how, how has your life changed? And looking back on this now, uh, could you imagine your life if you didn't go through this? I mean, th this seems like it's in a way, e even though it was very traumatic, it, it turned out great, right? And it seems that your personal journey has turned out really great as well. Like you learned a lot about yourself in this. What, what advice would you give to people who might be married to somebody who is in recovery or trying to get sober? What advice would you give them? Yeah, it's funny, you know, like there's lots of things about my life that I'm like, yeah, I'd be, I'd, I'd be okay if that didn't happen or I'd be okay if like, you know, we were in a better circumstance here or there or whatever, but like, that's not what life is about. It's not. And you know, my sin is I always get caught up in the like, why isn't it better? Why are we not in a better position? Why is, why is life so hard? You know, why, why have we lost so many friends through going through this hard thing? You know, like people kind of stepped away from us when our life got messy, right? Like all, so there's lots about our life where I'm like, oh yeah, I would love it if that was different. But I mean, it, the Bible talks about cleaning the inside of the cup first. And so the, the point of life is, is us. It's the inside of us and our character. And when I compare who I was prior to marrying Rhett and who I am now, I would much rather the person I am now. Like I, I can feel the difference. I, I can know and sense the difference of who I am now versus who I was then. And like, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still chipping away at that. But that's the thing is I think Christians look at that verse of like, God won't give you more than you can handle. And then so the second you feel like you have more than you can handle, you want to tap out and throw in the flag, right? Like, oh, I'm done. But God is like pulling you through something to like make you a better, stronger version of yourself. And so like God's okay with us going through storms. He's okay with us going through hard times because he knows that he can be the strength we need to get through in order for us to be that gold that's refined in the fire. And so, no, I, I wouldn't trade who I am now for who I was five years ago. Like, I, I just can't fathom being that old version of me again. Like, I, I just don't think I could do it. Shona Marie, thank you so much. I want everybody to pick this book up. She is the author of Steady the Storm. Where can they find out more about you in the book? Yeah, it's um, it's steady in the storm. Steady in the storm. I'm People sorry. Steady that, in the storm. Error, so no worries. Um, it's sold on Amazon. So if you even if you just Google search "steady in the storm" book, um, it should come right up as an Amazon connection. Um, you can find my website at steadyinthestorm.com, which also links to purchasing the book. I do blog on that website uh, about once a week. So if you want to kind of keep up with other other writings I'm doing or even future book projects, they will all kind of be announced there. But the book itself is purchased on Amazon and Kindle, Steady in the Storm and author Shona Marie. Great weekend read, guys. Pick it up on Amazon. Thanks so much for coming to the Recovered Life Show. Thanks, Damien. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.